When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Expose yourself. Show them what you're all about. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Expose. I'm Joseph Shepard, your host, and You know, we always dive into some lives of those individuals who may have been on a RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. Today, I have the honor of, like, phoning up somebody international. We are talking co-hosting Drag Race Thailand. It's Pangina Heels. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. I love watching your interviews. And for me, I'm just really excited to be talking to you, even though it's, you know, over Skype. I wasn't, like... America for five months. I didn't know why you didn't hit me earlier. I was in LA and everywhere are you? I'm in LA. I was there for like three months. I didn't know that you were here. And then when I hit you up, you were like, oh, I just left. And I was like, I know, I know. It's, you know, the way the world works. It's so stupid, but I'll be back next year. I think in February. So. And and then are you going to be a drag con too or yes? Maybe. Sure. I have a booth. Come by. I have an island. Okay. Oh, you have an island. You got the island. island. It's fancy, schmancy. Um, what do you mean? Oh, I said you got the island thing, like the upgrade. Yeah, I got the island thing. It's gonna be like huge, and I'm excited. I'm gonna be bringing all you know Thai costumes, Thai designer, very cultural. So I'm really excited to be showcasing, you know, my culture to the world, and especially to drag lovers that is going to come to DragCon from all over the world. And after a pandemic, isn't it nice just to be in the same space, you know? Yeah, I'm like so looking forward to it. I'm also doing a booth. I have not told anybody what it is. But you know, since you are here, I feel like I'll tell you and then all the fans will know. Okay, what is it? I am doing Forget the Interior Illusions Lounge. I have the Exterior Illusions Lounge. So I will be live streaming all day, Saturday and Sunday. So feel free to come by, have a little 10, 15 minute interview and, you know, we'll live stream it out. That'd be so much fun. Okay, I'll stop by. Of course, and I'll stop by your island. Okay. (laughs) It's a date. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a totally different look for you. I am so used to you being, you know, hosting Thailand and having your beautiful makeup on and your hair. Not that this isn't beautiful, but it's so different than what you're used to. What was your inspiration today? My mother. So I kind of wanted to look like her when she wakes up. No, I feel like drag 
the thing I hate and the thing I love about drag is that people try to put you in a box and people want to label you as the dancing queen, you know, the queen with the big hair or, you know, the comedy queen. And that's all great. But something I've always struggled with is that what if I'm just me and I like doing all those things? And for me, I love doing comedy. I love doing stand up. I love doing characters. I love doing impersonation. I love being glam. And I thought that on the Drag Race Thailand show, I wanted to show the glamorous side because I was working with Art Arya, who is a fashion, you know, fashion powerhouse, blah, blah, blah. So for me, it was great to actually put me out of my own comfort zone and learn more about fashion. But drag is like, it's like a diamond. You have so many different sides. And I like whenever people come to my show and they're like, who the fuck is it? What the fuck is it? And then not be able to expect anything. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And I think the thing that you do extremely well is that, like you said, you have such a caliber of like going from comedy, you can dance, you choreograph. Like there's so many things that you do and you host. Like, I'm so excited to get into all of this, but of course, we're going to have to start with little baby, little baby Pangina. Okay. 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 So you were born and raised where? I was born and raised in Samut Pakan in the outskirts of Bangkok. I grew up and my family had a company, like a manufacturing company. So I would barely see my mother. We had a huge factory, so I would be staying with my babysitter all the time. And growing up, I was very overweight and I really didn't love myself. It was really hard. I was overweight, I was gay, and growing up, when you see it in the media, if you don't have a six pack, you are not a valuable human being in society. And so that's how I felt. And it's obviously really wrong, but that's how I felt at the time. So I struggled a lot with bullying. That's why I don't talk to all of these hoes in high school no more. Um, <laughs> and family, and, and when they ever they have like a, a high school reunion, I'm like, oh, bitch, please. And so coming from that childhood, it kind of geared me up to using all of that hurt and turning that into art. Wow. So were you, before you started doing drag, were you a very creative person? Did you like dibble and dabble in lots of stuff? I was a bad Asian. I was shit at school, but I was great in the arts. Horrible, horrible at school. Like there was like 56 kids in the class. I got 53rd. So great. It was amazing. I was horrible at school. But when it comes to art, I was always super creative. I always loved painting, drawing. And I was just that, you know, that fabulous gay kid in, in class. Um, yeah. Well, I would love to know culture-wise, because I know that in America, like, we have very different boundaries of, I guess you would say, acceptance of, you know, the LGBT community. Basically, like, the East Side and the West Side are pretty accepting of it, but then right in the middle, like where I grew up was very religious, very hard. Nobody accepted it. What's the experience like, you know, where you grew up? Is it good, bad? Well, we, I mean, let's not even talk about drag because honestly, I feel like the drag culture, yes, it's been there in Thailand for quite some time. They didn't call it drag. We don't have the same term as, you know, D-R-A-G. We just called the word Katoi, which is like everything under the umbrella of being gay and fabulous and whatnot. So growing up, it was quite stigmatized to be gay. So let's not even have the conversation with drag because that's a way past it being acceptable. But 
I felt like Drag Race Thailand really educated people into understanding it's not about trying to look like a woman. It's an art form. You can be whatever and do this art and make it valid. And I think that's the the good side of what Drag Race does, you know? Yeah. I think like, you know, like looking at it too, looking at Thailand and what you guys put out is phenomenal. You have oh, thank you. something that we do not have in America. Like when I watched Drag Race Thailand, I was like, oh my gosh. And then I started like researching more and looking more into, you know, culture and how long this has been going on. Because the thing is, is that it's a very different art, but it's the exact same art, you know? Like it's coming, all stemming from the same thing, but you know, different variations. And that's so cool to see because, you know, like after 10, 11, 12, 13 seasons of Drag Race, people start getting into this mold. Whereas when these international Mm -hmm. seasons are popping up, I'm like, oh my goodness, there are so many more different creative people. It's not just the one mold. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I feel like drag is influenced by culture, by textile, by music, Mm -hmm. by so many things, by personal experience. But if to be stereotypical, which I hate, the drag in America, people does lots of amazing mixes. It's very conceptual. But in Thailand, a lot of what we do in the beginning is try to emulate being a woman and trying to get that illusion and impersonation as well. So if you want to be stereotypical about it, then that's what it is like. Well, speaking of a woman, you do both so well. You as a male are the sexiest mother ever, ever. I, you are a very attractive male, but also you are a very attractive female. The, the literally the change from one to the other, I would never guess what was under there. You look biological, you look great. Like when it comes down to it, what led you to do drag in the first place? Like how old were you? Mm-hmm. I would say, well, I went to UCLA and I graduated in 2010. So when I graduated, I didn't do drag that much in college, but yes, every Halloween, we try to go to the dollar store and pull up something and, you know, felt all those oats and look like shit. But it was after graduating, there was a competition, like dress up like Lady Gaga competition. And I was like, why not enter it? And, you know, the winner gets to fly over to New York and see her live in concert. And I halfway through pass out because I was screaming so loud, I had to be dragged back to the hotel, which wasn't fun. But whenever people saw me in costumes, out of 10 people, nine people would say, you work fierce, I love it. And you get that positivity and that real quality of connection from someone you don't even know. And that's it's such a nice way to see the humanity in person. And yes, one person would say, you faggot, you should go die, but you should listen to the majority, darling. And I felt like it's a great way of seeing through people. Yeah. And I also think too, that like drag is such an art form where you can freely express yourself no matter what. And nobody's going to technically be like, oh, that's weird or that's gross or that's disgusting. It's kind of like, oh, you're doing it through drag. Yeah, I see what you're thinking. But the way I look at it is like, oh, it's an art form. No matter what somebody does, it's like, I take it as art. Do you have a a qualm about that? Well, maybe because you're, well, no. Well, I think maybe because you're submersed in the art of drag and maybe you just have manners. I do think that, yeah, maybe you just have respect. I, I do feel like, I've met a lot of 
over, I've been here for five months. I heard a lot of stories where girls would perform and some person would just go be like, fix your wig line and stuff like that. I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know how I would respond. But that does happen in this yeah, day and age. There's, there's a lot. I feel like since drag has become more mainstream, everybody has an opinion and they want to tell you their opinion and they want you to, mm-hmm. they want to put you in a box. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're your own individual person. I was watching something of yours. I believe it was a YouTube thing you did with WOW a couple of years ago when you were in DragCon. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you were talking about Rue at the first of it and talking about you watching an Oprah interview. Was that what also pushed you to like love the art and to love Rue and stuff? I think that was further on because I was already doing drag. You know, that interview is quite recent, but it just really helped me let go of a lot of things. That interview was so powerful and it it was just like kind of like an epiphany of how one one can think. Um, so it was a great learning experience for me to get from that interview. And I, if you haven't seen this interview with Oprah, everyone, you should go see it because it is life-changing. Um, and one thing that I really took from that interview is wear a suit because people would pay more money to you if you dress the part. And it's so easy for a guy to wear a suit. And literally you can wear a suit with a skirt, you can wear a suit with everything and you just look divine. And it's true. Every single time I go to a job, people pay me more when I wear a suit. So you took the the advice to heart then? Yes. Well, I don't show up like this in a suit, but if I ever have like a meeting with like, you know, executives or any person who is going to give me money, I'm going to make sure that I dress the part. Well, your name, Pangina, where did that come from and why the heels at the end too? Okay. It's actually deeper than most people think. That's what he said. Um, (laughs) And basically, I was inspired by a couple of things. I didn't start drag until I started watching the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race. And I was really inspired by Angina. She's like my sister. She's so sweet. She's like my guardian angel when I'm here. She just, you know, looks after me. And it's it's an amazing thing. Like, once you work so hard in your life, you get to know your idols and work with them and be able to share the same stage and find out who they are as human beings. It's the most rewarding experience you can ever have. And my name is inspired by her, Angina, Pangina. But also, I love the fact that drag and dancing brings people together. And the world used to be one continent called Pangea. And then it broke off into different continents. So I was like, hmm, Pangina, Pangea. It fits into this, this beautiful utopic world where I feel like we should get back to. And heels, drag heals people, dancing heals people. So Pangina heals. You really thought about that. I think it's very cool because like some people will be like, oh, I saw the name like Toot on the side of like a car. That's my name. And then yours is actually like a fully realized version of what you want. Well, I like to think sometimes, so it it helps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to know, when did you start seeing that your drag was taking off? Like, when you were performing, what also, what is the Thailand scene like for those who do not know? Well, okay, first of all, let me put this. Our culture is very heavily influenced by what we call the pageant system called 
Miss Tiffany, where the winner will definitely will get a car, get an apartment, their lives change. Some of the most Miss Tiffany pageant winners, like Bharti Shada, went on to become the most famous actress in all of Asia, one of. And basically, it's the dream for all trans girls to compete and win. So because there's this culture, we call it Sabapetsong, which means female type two, which means trans girls would transcend in a way into stardom. So in the main image of the mass, they relate that to drag. Because on the same stage, there will be drag performers as well. But with that coming in mind, a lot of people's notion of what drag is will be based on the root of it trying to pass, trying to look the most feminine. And so that experimentation, that kind of subversive, that kind of dark experimental feel is relatively new. So when it comes down to like seeing drag, so if I went there, is it like open or is it more like back door? Like what's the the vibe? It's more open now. I think it would, I would say like these four or five years, it's definitely opening up more because of the show. People get it more because of, you know, certain nightclubs that like the dive bar, Stranger Bar, that M. Stranger Fox, the first one eliminated on season two. She has a club that I worked at as well. And then now I opened my own club. So I feel it's important to have gay venues with drag performers perform so that people can see this art and it can keep going and it can keep going the way we want it to keep going. So my club, it's called the House of Heels. We have like experimental night. We have like showgirls night. We have, you know, girl groups night. So we always try to challenge what people haven't seen before, you know? Yeah. And I think that that says a lot about, you know, culture too, and what you all are going through. I love too, that you said that the show ended up bringing it more into, you know, more acceptable, I guess you would say, and making it a little bit more like feedable and you're able to take it. When you started performing for the first time, do you remember your first like on stage show? I do. I remember the first big onstage show. I mean, there's other several ones that I did before when I was a dancer. and But those, I don't think it counted. But my first one was like at this party in a bar, a detrasher party. And let me say, I think that if you're going to be swishing your hair around, you should definitely wear a human. Because mine was, I was definitely flossing by the end of my performance. Like hair was everywhere. It was bad, but it felt exhilarating. And of course I did a Gaga number, but you just feel superhuman in drag and you feel like you can't do no wrong. And that's why it's so addictive to me. And I mean, I remember going, there was like a couple of years where I would just like stay with my best friend, which is a bottle of wine. And I would just go outside and literally in drag all the time because I didn't think that it was wrong. I love conquering fear. I always think about this in my life. If there's an opportunity that I'm afraid of, I'm going to do it because you only get to live once and that's when you feel the most alive. Yes, I I agree with that 100%. I think it's very brave of you too that you were just, you know, like walking out, being in drag. When your career started taking off, like how did you get to be, to go from, you go to what you went to, was it UCLA? Mm-hmm. You're in America, you do school over here, you go back to Thailand, you start doing drag, and then 
how long did it take before people started like recognizing you and like knowing who you were? When did you become like that in the scene? It's definitely not overnight. I feel like there is a culture of instant gratification in this day and age. And I've always believed whether it's dance or drag, the day you quit is the day before you see the results. And so for me, I've just never quit at what I like doing and what I'm passionate about. I mean, let's be real. The first two years of me performing, I didn't get paid for shit. I was losing so much money, but I loved it every single time. So I would, my father always said that if you love what you do, money would come after that. And for me, every single day, it's like a vacation. It's like Halloween. I mean, and I'm getting paid to do that. So I kept going. I kept going. And I would say it became more like a business in the fifth year onwards where I felt like, you know what? I need to pay, be paid more. I need to demand more. And aggressively, I've been working at the nightclubs. Like in the beginning, oh my God, I would work from 7 p.m. until 4 a.m. in the morning, running around three clubs per night, got like a digestive problem because I wouldn't eat at the right times. But I was hustling like for years and I would take almost any gig, every gig, working every single night for years and years. And people just noticed that this bitch won't go away. They tried, they really tried, but... I think it's also because I felt like one thing that I always want to teach my girls or anyone I know, there's certain things that you need to have, which doesn't cost money in order to succeed in life. Punctuality, which is to be on time. Bitch, if you have an iPhone, you have a watch. And traffic did not start existing today. Like, if I got here on time, you might best believe you better get on time too. So that's one of my pet peeves. And also, the other thing is just to honor yourself and your craft and know when to say no. No one to say no. I think that that is a very good thing. I didn't even think, I didn't even hear anybody say anything like that until about two years ago. And then I started really realizing like, it is okay to say no. Like you don't have to worry. You don't have to always say yes to everything. You don't have to be a people person. You don't have to give an excuse if your friend asked you to like go get dinner and you don't want to and you say no. And they're like, well, why not? I just don't feel like it. Like you shouldn't feel bad for catering to yourself. True. You are the most important thing in your life. I mean, yeah. So a little show called Drag Race Thailand comes around, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know about that. How hmm. did you... Never heard of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I never heard of it either. Did you... <laughs> okay, I want to know how this went down. Did you get a cool phone call? What was it like? Well, the thing is that people thought that it was like... I just got the call one day and like, oh, do you want to host it? No, it's actually like when I was first approached by Perry, which is the head of the production company in Thailand, we spoke about it like two years before it started happening. And so it was like just waiting. And then suddenly one day it was like, yep, we're filming, come in. So it, we got like, I think two weeks for me to actually um, prepare all the costumes, two weeks for all those costumes. So it was super stressful. So by the time like season two came and rolled around, I had all those motherfuckers lined up in my closet. <laughs> it was like week one, week two, week three. I ain't doing that no more. The thing too about Drag Race Thailand was that when it came out and I had no idea about it. 
I did not know mm-hmm. that this thing exists. This was before all the other international seasons. It was before UK. It was yeah. the first international season of a Drag Race franchise. But I had no idea until probably about three-ish years ago, two, three years ago, like right before COVID, I guess you would say. And I think that that was the interesting thing behind it. I was like, I need more promo for this. I need to see these girls all over my timeline. They have so much talent. Your girls had like it to the moon. Like if you turn out a performance, I love seeing fire on stage. I love like when people were pulling out stuff. I was like, oh, you don't like the fire on stage. You know, with that episode, she burned her eyebrows off and her nose hairs, thank God. But when that happened, I was terrified she had to go to the er it wasn't i feel like if you play with fire you need to just be really careful because the bitch didn't tell people she was gonna do that and because you know with every production you have to wait when she put the oil into her dress it's not supposed to soak that long because if it soaks long it disperses everywhere and then when she lights it on fire and spins that just gives it more oxygen What does a flame do when it gets more oxygen? It burns everything up. So, yeah, I was like, bitches, I thought she was going to die. You've been the first casualty. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you do Drag Race Thailand. You're co-hosting. You are, you know, you are no longer the performer, I guess you would say. You're not Mm -hmm. performing for somebody. You're not being judged What was it like critiquing and telling, you know, other girls how to do and what to do? Like, what was that experience like? Well, I love judging people on a daily life basis anyway. So it's great to get paid for it now. I felt like a lot of the times when you give people criticism, sometimes they can take it the wrong way or if they don't see that I'm coming from a place of love and a place that I want them to improve, then I'm like, well, that's up to you. I'm only the judge. So I'm only telling you these things so that I can give you a higher score. So if you're going to be a bitter Betty about it, then see you back at home. I mean, I don't know what else to say, you know, but I think I take my judging with the experiences that I have, how I felt like, you know, their looks could be accomplish, but also how they can sell it as the character and the performer, because that's what I do. Art looks at it from the fashion perspective. And I'm most of the time, I don't look at it from that perspective. I look from the performance side. So both of us, me and her, complement each other really well in that respect. Yeah, you guys really, really did work really well off each other. There were two separate opinions. Um, and I think the thing, too, that I would love to know is that watching it here, of course, we just have subtitles. So seeing reactions or emotions is a little bit harder when it comes down to, like, hearing the dialect and where you're from. Like, I don't know when things are angry or mad or things like that. How would you describe your judging style? Honest, loud, loving, cutthroat. Because there are a couple of times I got into it with the girls. <laughs> um, I saw the comments. I went off a little Tyra Banksy moment. We were rooting for you um, a couple of times. But you're in a reality show. Obviously, you have to wait. Eating is not a priority. So sometimes you get agitated. But at the end of the day, I just I never thought that I was going to have a moment for a TV. It was just me being me. I don't know. how. What do you think about me doing being a judge? Like, what would you? How would you say it? 
Like, describe. Oh, 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 oh. Well, I would say that the thing that was very hard is just like, the translations are so bad. Whoever does these captions for World of Wonder or whatever the thing is, sometimes like it's kind of mixed messaging. So it is a okay. little hard to like read and to go back and forth and to like see where your emotions are. I would say that you were very fair. I would say that there were moments where you were not afraid to give a little a little dagger in there, but you were very enjoyable to watch. Like you can tell Thanks. when there's a judge who loves doing what they do and they just want to help. And then you have like the Simon Cows. I would consider you the one who loves the art form and just wants yeah. to be able to expand that. Yeah, for sure. That's so important to me. And also just trying to make them better. But I spoke in English a lot of the times because I'm bilingual. So um, whenever I get angry or I can't think of words to say in Thai fast enough, I just go straight into English. I chatted with the first out girl of season one, Mini Minaj. Oh, that bitch, yeah. Mm -hmm. She was telling me that, okay, so in the U.S., I know that we, everybody's locked in their hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. She told me that she was running to gigs on that first day at night. See, this is why she didn't win. <laughs> also, this bitch is insane. I mean, I've known her for years. And that's one thing as well. People are like, oh, Pangina is going to be, you know, biased because she has girls in the competition that works with her before. I'm like, bitch, she went first. That's the girl that was working for me. I am so fair. I don't give a shit who you are. And plus, I am harder on my girls because I've seen them at their best. So if they don't deliver, I'm going to be like chopped. But with Mini Minaj, um, in terms of filming in Thailand, when we did it, we didn't sequester the girls. So a lot of the times when I was going shopping, I was like, I see all of them together walking around. I was like, bitch, separate yourselves right now because you're going to get the same costumes. What are you doing? But that's how it was in Thailand. I mean, some of the girls came in my car when we drove to the to the production set. Some of them oh, went okay, home with okay. me. You, um, you, paused, yeah. you paused and you said, the girls came in my car and I literally took it as something else. You're so stupid. Um, <laughs> no, they got into my car. I drove to the production place. Then they got out. Okay. <laughs> it, it's not a bait bus situation going on. Okay. <laughs> bait bus, yes. Oh, you know, bait bus. It's like, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> bait bus brought back memories of like 14, 15 year old myself. I think um, I've seen you on it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I was. I think that's how I figured out I was gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the one thing that I got very excited about is I heard that you guys are going to have a third season. And I was very afraid that that wasn't going to happen because there was that silence for the, what, the past like two years or whatever, and nobody technically knew a year and a half, whatever it was. When did you figure that out? And are you excited? I'm very excited. Legally, I can't say anything more, but I still feel like we have a lot more to show. Lots of drag performers who are at the top of the game, up and new coming drag queens. I want to see whoever wants to come from all over the world to compete like last time. But this year, when we do it, I'm going to speak in English the whole time. How about that? Let's just start there. <laughs> mm -hmm. The whole time. 
And even if they don't understand, find a talking dictionary, find someone who can translate. <laughs> don't give a shit. So when it comes down to your drag and you performing, mm-hmm. if I were mm-hmm. to go to a Pangina Heel show, what should I expect? Excellence. <laughs> oh my God, I hate saying that. Ooh, I just got grossed out by myself, which is pretty much what I do every day. No, I expect you to be entertained. I expect you to know that I'm committed to you know doing what I do and I should be committed. I've seen some of the queens here. They told me that like every single time you perform, you laid out on the stage. And they were like, they're afraid for my health, for my knees, but it's just with my dancer background, I've always thought that this could always be your last performance. So always treat it like it is. You never know because I broke my leg like two times and then I was out of commission um you know, for like months at a time. I mean, I broke my leg on the first reality show I was on. The dancing one? No, the dancing <laughs> one, I did not break my leg. I broke my leg stupidly because when we, we were about to film the day before we got into the house, it was like a big brother kind of situation with the drag queens. That's how I knew Candy Cyanide, Mini Minaj, and a lot of the girls. So that was the first show I did. They told us when we get into the house, we can't drink any alcohol. So... When we were walking past this bar, I saw the picture and it said happy hour. And I ran up to it, fell, broke my leg. So the first day of the competition, I was in a wheelchair. You can look it up online somewhere. I'm in a wheelchair, like dancing in choreography with candy cyanide. Do you go to happy hours now or is it still scarring for you? Every hour for me is happy hour. It doesn't affect me in any way. I still live my life like my mother, like a functioning alcoholic that she is. But with that experience, it was insane because then the thing you're proud of the most becomes your biggest enemy and it it plays in your mind. I had so many breakdowns and the eight week of the competition... I was in a wheelchair for six weeks and then I end up winning. I had to learn how to walk again. And that also like kills your self-esteem and you as an individual knowing where you were at one point and then being somewhere else. And like, that's how I feel. I mean, I know yours was worse, but that's how I feel right now when I'm going back to the gym and I'm trying to run on the treadmill. I'm like, I used to be able to do this so well. But now I am out of breath more than anything. And I look at myself and I'm Mm -hmm. like... What is this? And you start like getting very down on yourself. You like, you look down. How old are you? 30. Oh, fuck you. We're not having this conversation. Shut up. Stop it. You are. Oh, but you, I do warn you. What? You are not that much older than me. I, I looked at your birthday. That's the only reason I know. I would say that you're actually younger than me, but you know, I, I saw I the, 34, the year. I'm 34 with so much classic surgery that it's insane, but. I, the hangover are now two days. Mm-hmm. You'll look forward to that when you hit thirty-one. Um, <laughs> I think we're just gonna stick. We're gonna stick to the to the laganja. Um, gonna... <laughs> yeah. Guess what happens? Before on my bed post, I have KY condoms and some poppers. Now I have ibuprofen, vitamin C, and some Pedialytes. <laughs> You're all prepped and ready. Mm-hmm. Ready to go. When when you perform, <laughs> I know that some girls, you know, drink, some do not, depending on their performance. 
Are you the type of person to take a shot or two before? Not a shot. My base every single time is just vodka, Diet Coke. And I always have just one before I perform. Well, let, let's not lie. I probably have two or three before I perform, but I never get messy because I, I've had so many bad experiences where queens get nervous. I don't get nervous anymore. I get anxious and excited, but I don't get nervous. But I've seen where queens just become the enemy of themselves by literally over drinking and performing. And how are you going to perform if you're battling with gravity? Like, you're not Sandra Bullock. Like, what are you doing? It's not going to happen. So I've always, I don't take shots. I drink slowly. And then um, then I put my tucking and everything on because I got to pee. Up until the last minute. Mm-hmm. You also choreographed, which I was like looking up and you choreographed what, Miss Universe a few years ago? I was the runway coach for Miss the Miss Universe Thailand pageant, which is kind of insane having a gay guy teach a girl how to walk, which is ironic as hell. But it's one of the best experiences ever because in Thailand, pageantry is no joke. It's a sport for the gays. Did you play any sports when you were younger? Does it look like I played any sports when I was younger? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you dodged that bullet. Um, I I play a lot of sports actually when I was younger, but usually sports that are not dependent on other people. So I love swimming. I used to swim a lot. I would go running, but I just had these traumas with soccer because when I was fat, they made me the goalkeeper because I would cover the goal, not because I was good. <laughs> So I don't like sports with balls anymore because it just comes at me from all angles and it just felt like dodgeball, even though when it's not. So, yeah, no basketball for me, no soccer for me. Yeah, I feel you on that. My dad and mom tried to put me in soccer when I was five years old, but they signed me up for the incorrect age group. So I was with 11 and 12 year olds and they thought it would be funny to kick balls at me. So I had soccer balls kicked on me and I left crying that day and I never wanted to play a sport again. Oh no, poor you. She's traumatized. Yeah, you know, so traumatized that I'm talking to a clown right now. Uh, (laughs) um, What is your hope? Like, what do you want to come of your career and where you are? You are now, you're now here, you know, in the U.S. You're doing things. Are you wanting to go international? Are you wanting to stay in Thailand? Are you wanting to build the scene there? What's your, your goal? I definitely, I mean, I've been building this scene for a certain extent. I also believe that in order for you to build a certain scene is for you to be you at the best version of yourself and to create and never stop giving up. And that way you can create a ripple effect where others can feel and lifted and feel like they can do themselves too. I feel like if you put too much energy and trying to lift other people up, you're going to sink without a life raft. So that's what I've been doing is Because Thailand, the nightlife has been closed. I've been out here in the States just performing, enjoying, and just like literally putting my name out and doing the best and practicing my craft as best as I can. I do want to go international on a global scale. And, you know, I felt like I perform in Asia and so many places in the world in opera houses. And I've been so grateful for the experience. And one of my dreams, which I was able to do, was to open my own 
club with my name, which is called the House of Heels last year. This year, we're reopening it in a couple of days, actually. And it's now moved to a bigger venue. It's huge. It can hold 300 people. And my bar, it's a place where I don't call it a gay bar, but it's very that. But where, you know, straight girls can come, straight guys can come and they feel like they can enjoy themselves because entertainment is the same. When you laugh, you don't have a gay laugh. It's everyone laughs the same. When you feel joy, it's the same. No matter who who that entertainer is, I just love it when people come and they're surprised and they're like, that was really funny. I had such a good time. I had no idea I could have such a great time at a gay venue, but you guys are just so amazing. And I was like, score, that's great. I'll suck you up later. But <laughs> I think that's the main that's the main thing is that we're all human beings. We're all here to have a good time. And that's the accomplishment of my bar. You come in looking all bougie and dressed up and you crawl out and you can throw up outside. That's my goal. <laughs> I hate nightclubs that people just don't dance in. I, I hate it. Oh my it. gosh, I'm peeve. the same way. I'm like, what are you doing? What is mm-hmm. this? This is not a lounge. If you want to go to a lounge, sit down somewhere in a lounge. Not here. Amen. So true. And if you want to come and be that person who's like, Oh my God, no one's looking at me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, just go on a dating app. What are you doing? You know, so stupid. You are so funny. Do you know that about yourself? No, but thank you. I'll take that. That's really kind. So I would love to know, when did you like end up learning English? When was that? Was that later in life, early in life? Once upon a time. When I was younger, my parents, my mother is Taiwanese and my father was Thai. So one of the lovely words that I learned when I was younger was shut the fuck up, get out of my house. Or it'd be like, speak to me again and I'll slap the fuck out of you. So I think that's how I learned English was when my parents cursed at each other because that's their common ground. And I've just learned so many great words at the young age. Yeah. So you were learning the fucking shit and all of that right out the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My okay, before anyone calls um child services or PETA, um my parents were PETA? They just did do they to abuse animals too? <laughs> it's me. Uh, um, what is it? Yeah, no, they're lovely people. It's just sometimes they swore like like human beings, and I just picked those up. And then what made you what made you want to come to to school in California? Oh, because I have an Asian mom. She wants me to go to the best schools in the world, and I don't know if most people do this, but I applied to twenty one colleges. Got accepted in USC, UCLA, and Boston. I got accepted to Boston University for marine biology which is something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, you, you. if I go into an aquarium, I can name all the fish. Really? Mm-hmm. That's something weird and nerdy about me. It's like Pokemon. I know them all. But because my mom is an Asian mom, she really wants me to excel. And she just like, she, she, I, she had this weird mentality about life. It's like, if you're gay, you better prove the world wrong. You have to work harder, which is true. And... You know, she was like, if you're successful in life, that would be great. So I applied to the colleges and then went to UCLA because for the art program, it's one of the best in the world. So you went for art? I went for fine arts, yes. So then, I mean, but that's pretty awesome too that you, you know, were 53 out of 56 in your class and you end up, you know. (laughs) 
Well, they let let me just say this. They didn't accept me because of my SAT scores. They accepted me because of my portfolio. And I was really lucky. I was one of the other type, like, you know how they accept international students, but 95% they accept Californians. I was, that year, I think I was one of the two person who was accepted in Thailand. So it was really happy. But don't quote me on that. Someone's going to look that up and be like, no, you're not. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna find the receipts. You know, the fans that are listening right now, um, comment in the comment section below. Um, I hate receipts. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very excited also because this new season, I'm sure, is going to be getting the same amount of love and attention, hopefully, that, you know, UK and Canada and Australia and all these ones have been getting. And I'm really excited for the world to be able to see what Thailand has to offer because the drag and everything is so different and so phenomenal. What do you think the biggest difference between drag in Thailand and drag in the U.S. is? The biggest difference? Well, are we talking about stereotypes again? Yeah, let's talk about some stereotypes. Well, I didn't know this. But when I came over here to the United States of America, someone, you know who you are and I love you, said to me, most Thai girls don't have, they don't put on padding, they have body, but they don't give the shapes, they don't wear nails. And thanks to that bitch now, I have to put on a corset and nails every single time I perform, just to prove her wrong out of spite. So thanks to that hoe. What are the differences? See, this is the thing that I'm always self-conscious about because I feel like the drag performers in America, I look up to so much and I've been so inspired for so long. I mean, the list goes on and on and they have incredible mixes. Their their art is so conceptual. But what I I love to do most of the time is um, I do... I don't do a mix. I do original numbers or medleys or just because when you do mixes in Thailand, the, when you play, it's not high quality. So that's one of the main reasons that the music cracks and people just get deaf. Interesting. Um, so that's part of why I do mixes. But I love experimenting with characters. I love doing Mariah. I love doing Gaga. And it's because sometimes people always tell me, like when I start doing, they're like, you're never going to look like her. You don't look like her. It's really hard. And I love proving people wrong. I love it. I love doing it. And I've always said this, that revenge, the best revenge is success. That's so true. Mm -hmm. You know, I always think about it. Like I think about those little bitches, speaking of my, you know, teachers back in high school and stuff that were just little see you next Tuesdays. And it's so comical now for the ones who gave you the most flack and told you you would be nothing. And then when you start becoming successful, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Were you a theater teacher that is teaching high school theater? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's your life. You start realizing as you get older that like, hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that I learned from the Oprah interview that we talked about is like, sometimes when people are mean or dismissive or angry at you, it ain't about you, it's about them. True. And I get angry at a lot of people, so it must be about me. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, okay. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, what would you say is the biggest misconception of Pangina Heels? You tell me. I don't know. Most of people's opinions of me ain't none of my business. 
So I don't know what is the misconception because I don't even know what people think about me. Hopefully that I am a national treasure and just like a beautiful human being that I am, you know, so stupid. Oh my God, that's totally reminds me of this experience. Side note, I was in Victoria's Secret like in my college years and I saw two sorority girls talking to each other and one of the girls was like bigger. And then she asked her friend who was a sorority girl as well, was like, Becky, do you think I'm fat? And then the girl next to her turned around and said, but you have a great personality. And I thought it was the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. I ran out laughing. I don't know why I told you that story. Side note. That's a great, you know, I think that your next gig that you have should be an interior of Victoria's Secret. Because they're not problematic at all. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Not problematic at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, so no sure. misconception about you. Um, you know, you do you read comments and stuff? Do you look at that type of stuff or no? Oh, bitch! I read all of them. I am a self saboteur when it comes to that. But the good thing is that nowadays I don't get mad at it anymore. I used to. I used to be. Um, making sure like I would comment on YouTube and stuff. And at the end of the day, after I found out that a lot of the times the people who are giving unhappiness are just really unhappy. So I was just like, oh, poor them. It's not about me. And I don't get affected anymore. Let's just say the word anymore. But I do read it. Yeah. Yeah. We're human. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, you see the notification. You want to see what people are saying. But it is those, I will say like, when you first start getting the bad things, you really take it to heart. And then once it comes, then you're like, all right, well, who the fuck are you? Like, who are you? I don't know you. I mean, two things taught me how to, like, now that I'm, like, over all of this is because, I mean, once you get enough death threats, the comments on YouTube becomes normal. And I was like, I think I talked to one of the girls on Drag Race, and I was just like, because I got some death threats. And I was like, is this normal? And they're like, join the club. And I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Um, And then I was in, I'm currently in a lawsuit of defamation. So that really taught me that, you know, the people who really know who you are and stick with you throughout the hard times are your true friends. And I'm suing that bitch and I'm getting all the money that I can because I got all the receipts. Yes. Yes, I do. I think that that's the best thing when you actually have the receipts to be able to prove what you want to prove. Like, you know, just keeping them. It's so good. Oh, you have no idea. I got video footage. I got sound recordings. I went Charlie's Angels on that bitch. I am so excited. You have no idea. I mean, I can't talk about all of it, but once it clears, we'll talk about what I did. It's good. Oh. <laughs> Clown face makes it so much better. Um, <laughs> so as we are closing all of this out, I would love to know, like, what advice do you have for, you know, our beautiful LGBTQIA plus community? Is there anything that's like stuck with you over the years that you want to pass down? You make your own family. I really think that's very important. Like you surround yourself with people who love you the way that you are and bring out the best in you. Misery loves a company. So if you're with a certain person just because they enjoy when you're in a breakup or you're going through something and they're not there when you're happy, a good friend needs to join you in your success and your misery. It has to be that. And 
it's really important to talk to someone about certain feelings that you're going through because you're not alone. You're never alone. And also stand up for what you believe in. It's really important. And for me, like I'm a living testament of never giving up on, you know, your own dreams because I'm I'm still glue gunning. I'm still performing and I'm loving it. And I have no savings because of all my costumes. Mm. Do you ever regret that? No, I don't because I still hook on my side business and I'm earning money off that and OnlyFans. So it all it, it, it all works out. Wait, you have an OnlyFans? I kind of do, but I'm um, I will continue to give out more content once I'm back in Thailand. Um, but I did, I, I I do. Right now, it's like on hiatus, but I just don't want to get off it right now. <laughs> get off it. Um, but yeah, I do. Why? Okay, you can just email me the link. All right, so last <laughs> question for you. Uh, my last question is, what do you have going on the rest of this year? Like, what is going on? Do you have anything exciting? Where should people check you out? What's happening? Well, definitely the House of Heels is opening up. Thailand is opening up. Come see me there. It's my baby, my home bar. Well, it's a club now because it's huge. It's my passion. It's what I've been working in 10 years of the nightlife experience so that I can give you what I think is the best night you'll ever have in your life. With that, I'm coming to DragCon in May. I'm going to have an island like I've told you. Follow me on Instagram, on Facebook. And like Willem said, if you have a a check, I have a talent. Feel free to book me anytime. (laughs) Are you on the cameo? I am. I am on cameo. I love cameos. It's so nice. It's so, it's so great. Yeah. Well, since Miss Fangina Heels is on Cameo, if you comment below and tell me what your favorite part of this interview is, um, one person will be randomly selected and I will be getting you a Cameo from Pangina. So comment below, show Pangina some love, go follow her. You'll be seeing her on Drag Race Thailand season three. You're going to have so much fun. Go check out seasons one and two. Go see, go see. If you haven't seen, go see. Because literally, you will be gobsmacked. (laughs) Very British of you. Okay. Well, guys, I'm Joseph Shepard. You can follow me on all things. Joseph A. Shepard. Pangina, are you all at Pangina Heels? What do you mean? Your, Your social handles. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. It's easier that way. Pangina Heels on all my social media accounts on my PayPal, on everything. Yeah, and it's Pangina Heels, H-E-A-L-S. I had somebody comment on something that I, when I put up your name, and they were like, you spelled her name wrong. And I like went and I was like, no, I didn't. You're just an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, my name is correct. Actually, I had an event where someone me called Panini Heels. I was a sandwich. You know what? But that would be such a good costume one day. You should come out one day as Panini Heels. You know how sometimes people have great ideas and then sometimes they don't? This was not one. <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave you with that. <laughs> well, I'm Joseph Shepard. That's Pangina Heels. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe. Go follow her. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time. Bye.
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Exposed Dragged Out, brought to you by The Dip. I'm Joseph Shepard, your host. You can follow me on all things social at Joseph A. Shepard. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. You can also go to thedip.com slash RuPaul's Drag Race. The Dip with two P's dot com. That's the dip with two piece.com. Use promo code EXPOSE for 50% off your membership. And be sure to check out other podcasts from the dip, including Hot Off the Mess with Samantha Bush, the daily pop culture podcast, Pop Chaser, TV History Podcast, TV Watch Repeat, Real Housewives Podcast, The Slut Pick Podcast, and also I Am the Cute One, a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen podcast. Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard. Expose yourself. Ooh.